Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Bible Thumper Podcast, where somebody's got to say it. My name is Patrick Hayes, your regular host, and with me, down in Tornado Alley, Caleb Jenks. Caleb, how are you doing this evening? I am blessed. blessed Good. To be back on here, and uh, blessed that I didn't get blown away last night. That's good. So we are starting 40 minutes late, uh, but that's okay. Sometimes stuff goes wrong. So folks, as you can see up on the screen, you can find us on Google Play, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Please scan the QR code if you're watching the video live and follow us on a podcast, download and share that around. That will help out the podcast. So Caleb, tonight... We are getting into the message that I call the shotgun message because we are not taking careful aim at any specific topic. We are kind of hitting everything. So we are going to go over problems in American Christianity and problems in American churches. And you and I each came up with five topics and we are going to spend roughly five or six minutes on 10 different topics does that sound good yeah okay good. It, it's got it's got to be fun getting here getting <laughs> sit here on the air and let people uh people can sit here and critique us while we critique the church so this is gonna be fun yeah no it's totally top shelf christianity all around us sitting in judgment oh, yeah. amongst all of america so uh it's, it, it's a, it natural <laughs> it's a spiritual gift you know what? It, it was easy for us, um, and uh, it was something that is just you know fun to do. Is just to throw a fit and complain about stuff, and you know slap the pulpit and yell and scream about some Bible verses and what's going wrong with the country. Uh, so it's easy, cheap preaching. I mean, that's what it is. You know, it's not deep. It's not theological. You're not gonna. I don't know. I don't know if you're going to learn anything, but it's going to be a lot of fun for us to do. So are you ready? I have a timer. I want to make sure you're ready before we get into it. Absolutely. Okay. Topic number one, Caleb came up with the first topic, Patrick, the second, Caleb, the third, Patrick, the fourth, and so on. Topic number one, church services are geared toward entertainment. Caleb, your thoughts go. Well, uh, Patrick and I are both blessed to be in small churches so it's easy for us to easy for us to critique mega churches but i i have to think that uh the church in general has taken a major swing from what we saw in the early church to what we see now uh the the gospel that was preached in the early church was not a watered down um appealing gospel mm-hmm. and people people came to repentance after they watched people get martyred give their lives they got baptized and then they died and because they were per- persecuted and so we saw a a very very radical serious gospel where 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 the the apostles would have got up and preached a convicting message and there i don't think there was any bands i don't think they probably were bringing in dancers or entertainers i doubt that they were bringing in any kind of stage equipment lights fog machines none of that was there okay caleb i gotta tell you i have a friend of mine who goes to church here in the valley and he was telling me one time that he's like oh yeah our services have smoke machines and lasers i was like oh good that's probably you know 
very that helps everybody understand the bible better (laughs) i can i can i get it and that's kind of what you're talking about is this idea that it's geared toward entertainment rather than what a church service is supposed to be and i've seen that in some churches where it's really a little bit more like a concert almost where they get up and they're going to sing for 45 minutes and then someone comes out and they're like you know what we're not even going to open the bible today we're just gonna keep praising god and everyone's like Woo-hoo! you know and that's all that happens and then after that uh, the service is over and everyone goes home thank you um so yeah it, there's a there's a tremendous amount of pressure that is put on the worship team on the sound team the uh <laughs> the logistics team, the people that are running the live stream online, the website, you know, the whole thing has to be perfect and you got to keep up with the Joneses, so to speak with it. And I, I'm not saying that any of those things are necessarily negative, Mm -hmm. except that uh, if you've experienced this in church and this is normal and this is what you think of churches. I mean, so say, say you got saved five, six years ago in a church in America, most likely this is all that you know of church is it's a huge production. It's like going to a movie theater. In a lot of cases, they'll have a pastor that will live stream a message in from another location. So he may be there virtually. Uh, you're not really connecting with people. That That's a huge difference from what Patrick or I would have uh, experienced in a smaller community church. Even in the smaller community churches, they'll still have a production and they'll have bands and whatnot. If you get into a smaller yet, even like a home fellowship, it's all interaction. Worship is literally everyone just giving thanks to God in prayer or in song. It's people communicating together in in kind of in a in a more intimate setting. And there's not any pressure on somebody standing up front and leading everyone else into worship. And I wanted to look at uh, Acts chapter two here. Here we have the. I, I always say this is the most effective message if you were going to model how you how you preach. Let's let's go with what Peter did here in Acts chapter two. So we had the day of Pentecost here, and I'm going to go after this after the this, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Peter stood up, and he said in verse fourteen, chapter two, verse fourteen, it says, uh, "But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day, but." This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in these last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above, signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Okay, so right there, he had just quoted from the Old Testament. And then he goes on into this. So he just had basically uh, said, hey, guys, we're not crazy. We're not drunk. This is what the Bible says. So he, he reads a passage from the Old Testament. And then he goes into in verse 22. He says, ye men in, uh, of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by himself, by him in the midst of you, are ye yourselves also know, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and 
and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also, my flesh, my flesh shall not rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, okay, so that was, again, he was just reading from the Bible. Uh, quoting scripture, men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulture is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on the throne. He, seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalteth, and having received the Father, the promise, the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which ye see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord saith to my Lord, Sit on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made this same Jesus, who you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And then, of course, he told them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy, Holy Spirit. And as we know, this was the most radical, uh, the radical conversion experience that we had. I believe that there was uh, 3,000 souls that were saved that day. So Peter literally stood up there with no drums, no drum roll, no band, no nothing. And he quoted scripture. 75% of what he said was just quoting from the Old Testament, gave witness, said uh, he didn't give a bunch of jokes. He didn't have any any funny stories, any nothing, no, no filler. He just read from the Bible and gave the gospel, said, we've witnessed, this is Jesus, now repent and be baptized. And they responded. And so that to me is evidence that God can use somebody that's simple spoken, that reads from the Bible, gives a simple message, convicting message. We don't have to do any of the bells and whistles, but the church has strayed substantially from that to the point that it's now got to be a huge production and we have to we have to entertain people. I don't think Peter was an entertaining preacher at all. I think a lot of people were convicted by the Holy Spirit because Peter stayed out of the way. And I think that's what the church should do. Okay, you are like eight minutes past your time. So we are on. To, oh, wow. Well, yeah. we had two minutes. We had two minutes of intro. Okay. No, no. I, I started it when I, when I introduced the topic. We're, we're 10 minutes in. Uh, yeah. Yep. Okay. I went over. Yeah, Fine. you went, went over. over. That's okay. So from now on, we're going to use. Okay. We're going to use a sound effect to tell us where we're at. You were right in the middle of quoting the Bible. So I didn't want to like cut, cut that off oh, with the prices, right? right trombone. Right. But I was thinking about it. Okay, topic number two, biblical illiteracy. So, time started. Okay, Caleb, I have had so many times where I, like, need to wrap my entire head in duct tape so that when it explodes, people can at least bring the pieces to the hospital so they could put my head back together because I've heard so many Christians from all different types of church all over the place 
coming up with these stupid non-biblical ideas about who God is and what God wants. You see it on t-shirts, you see it on bumper stickers, you hear it in the movies, and you hear about it from Christians all over the place. And it's obviously it it's obvious that they are not reading their Bible because it's not in there. They are just hearing stuff from other people and they think it is in the Bible and they think it's what God says and they just go with it. The level of biblical illiteracy in America today, I think, is at its worst. It, or I should say, biblical illiteracy is at its highest. Back when Alexis de Tocqueville came to America and studied the colonies, he went back to the King of England and said, you are going to lose these colonies they are not going to be yours very much longer because the people in these colonies know the Bible. That was a common thing. It was the one book that everybody knew about. That's where we get our rights from. That's where they were derived. We understand who we are as people and what God expects of us from the Bible. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the hear. No, wait, I missed, sorry, of the heart. That was a typo on my part. On my part. So it is the word of God that has the power it is the word of god that convicts the soul and converts the sinner okay faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of god people are simply not reading their bible and because of that they have absolutely no opportunity no chance to be blessed of god one of the most foundational principles that i teach at my church is this You can only be blessed of God through obedience. Well, you learn what God wants of you in the Bible. If you are not reading the Bible, then you have no idea what God wants of you. So therefore, it is impossible to please God. It is impossible to obey God. And it is impossible for the Christian to be blessed of God. Because the Bible says that we humans in this mortal frame made of flesh have a desire for the exact opposite things of the word of God. We will never accidentally obey God. We will never accidentally please God because our desires are only for sin, for selfishness. They never line up with God. And if we are not reading the Bible and and learning what God requires of us, then there is no way that we obey. There is no way that we are blessed of God. Christians in America are so cursed of God, and they have no idea. They don't understand because they haven't read the Bible. They don't even know what God wants. It's so foreign to them. Your thoughts? Yeah, I agree. And and not only not only are we cursed by God uh, when we do that i mean it's 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 commanded of us to over and over again we're commanded to study the word we're commanded to uh, spend time not talking about our opinions but talking about 
God's laws uh, in, I believe it's... It's in Deuteronomy 6. We're commanded to teach them to our children when we wake up and when we go to bed and when we walk by the way and we're supposed to print, put them on the doorposts. And I mean, it is supposed to be this thing that we we are supposed to love the law of the Lord. Yeah, and then Second Second Timothy 2.15 says, Study... To show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You can't rightly divide it if you don't uh, know what it says. Know it, <laughs> study it. And so it's a commandment to study, but it it also implies that you should be ashamed if you don't. Because yep. if if you you need not be ashamed if you study, but if if you don't, it should be a shameful thing in the church. And instead, oftentimes. Uh, among new converts, it's one thing, you know, because they they're, they're brand new, they're sure. babies. They don't know but anything. As you spend I get time, it. as you spend time, it's it shouldn't be expected that only ministers and people in leadership in the church study the Bible, and Correct. everybody else has the free pass of oh, well, I'm just a parishioner. I don't need it. I don't need to study it for myself. Yeah, you should a, be ashamed if you're in that place. Well, and a good point we should make is that we're not Catholic. Okay, the Catholics have that idea of like, well, the priest he ain't married and he doesn't have a job, so he can spend all week we figuring it, it out. We made it almost. Almost 17 minutes. Yeah, before. before the on the Catholics. <laughs> but that's the point is like, that's the way they do it. They just rely. Well, he's going to figure it out and he'll tell me what I need to know. No, that's not what God says. And furthermore, I'm going to say fathers and husbands have no chance of being an effective leader in their home unless they know what the Bible says. Okay, we're out of time. All right, Caleb, number three, this one was yours, basing theology on Christian influencers and worship leaders, etc. Go. That's a problem. Well, if you spend any time on Instagram, you will notice that there are there are plenty of people that get their 15 minutes of fame or TikTok, wherever, wherever you put the reels out. People are drawn to uh, people that have good speech skills. They're... Uh, it could be a worship leader. It could be a, a model. It could be a, an actor, anybody that decides to use their platform, whatever that platform is to push a message. And oftentimes I find that Christians tend to get all excited. Oh, there's my favorite actor just said something. He said that he, that he believes that there's a, that there's a, a greater force in the universe. So he must be a Christian <laughs> because he alluded to something that seems kind of like some might, might be alluding to God. Uh, these people are, are not only are they disqualified, but they are oftentimes they're in a position where their platform can be used by God or it can be used by Satan. And unfortunately, um, we have a lot of worship leaders, a lot of songwriters that don't have pastors that are that are not being discipled themselves. That they're putting out uh, they're putting out lyrics, they're putting out music, they're putting out content online, and especially young people tend to flock to this because it's it's. It's more hipster. It's more. It's it's cool to engage with this type Hillsong. Of preaching rather than sorry what? than somebody that actually has put in the time to study their Bible. So the Bible warns against this very clearly, and I think that that we should before we listen before we listen and take take any counsel from another Christian in the way of teaching that we should vet them the same way that we would have vetted leaders in the, in the Bible. Uh, pastors, bishops, deacons, anybody that had an influence in the church was supposed to be held to a standard that that helped avoid this kind of foolishness. And unfortunately, 
uh, most most worship bands leaders. I mean, so, there's some there's some Christian content that's being put out by non-Christian people. I watched a clip the other day of the guy that's directing The Chosen, which is a TV show right now that's depicting the Bible. However, he he comes out and clearly, plainly says this is a for-profit business. It's not a Christian production. We are making Christian content, but we are not even attempting to have this be a Christian production company. Our actors are not Christian. Our team is not Christian. You know, some of them may be, some of them may not be. Well, that's fine if you want to watch that kind of entertainment. Great, but don't take your your the theology or your uh, beliefs from something like that. Don't take it from the latest song if if somebody hasn't been vetted. So, uh, we have a a pretty clear set of guidelines here that we are supposed to go by for a uh, for a, b a bishop, a deacon. But one of the things says is that you let's see here. Uh, let not a novice, uh, yeah, uh, you can't have it be somebody be a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. So a pastor, a pastor or a leader in the church could possibly be prone to pride, but not near as much as an entertainer. When you're an entertainer, uh, you are really putting yourself there. And this coming from somebody that I have spent time on stage as a musician, and I, I know what it's like to get to where you you feed off of audience feedback. So as an enter entertainer, when when the, the audience reacts well to what you're doing, you're doing a good job. When they don't, when there's not applause, you must be doing something wrong. And so you you learn to read the audience, you read the room, and you feed off of that. And so the more that you get the crowd worked up, the better they respond, the better you must be doing as a, as a musician or as an entertainer. And and so you're literally tickling itching ears at that point. That is the epitome of tickling itching ears. And most, I believe, most entertainers in in Christianity are are just that. They go with what they think is the most popular, and they're not uh, they're not going to be uh, theologically sound on it. I'm not sure what your thoughts are on that, Patrick. Well, I, the verse I had written down here was Second Timothy four three, which you just mentioned. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts, shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. So the people are going to turn away from sound doctrine. They're not going, that's not their concern. That's not their desire. And they are going to turn to somebody based on their own lusts. It has to do with, with what they desire. So what they want, they want to hear reinforcement for their own actions whatever we're doing we just want to hear that we're doing fine we don't care about the sound doctrine so then having itching ears having this desire for someone to tell us that we're doing well we heap to ourselves teachers and that's what's going on that's what you're talking about we will look anywhere for someone to comment on our lifestyle and tell us that we're doing great so long as they tell us what we want to hear, we are going to go to them as opposed to relying on sound doctrine. And that's what you have with social media. It, we would rather have someone famous tell us something wrong than a pastor reading from the Bible telling us the word of God. Yeah, and mostly mostly would be young influencers, and a lot of them, I believe, have influenced heavily theology in the church because you may have a pastor in your church that has 
seven seconds left. Your pastor may may teach a good solid message, but they're playing the music and the songs that are coming from these influencers. Okay, Caleb, very good. Uh, topic number Such four. An attractive sound. <laughs> you know where that was, that's from, right? It's from the I game show not. The Price is Right. That's what you would, that was the sound effect you okay. would hear when you lost, when you didn't get something right. Anyway, okay, so uh, topic number four. Men are cowards. They won't take the lead in the home or the church. So this one is mine. So to start off, without getting into a study on this, and I'm sure we've, I know we've tackled this subject in the past, men are supposed to be the leaders in the home. They are supposed to be the leaders in the church. They're also supposed to be the leaders in business and they're supposed to be the leaders in uh, government, but we don't have to worry about that right now. We just want fellas in the church and fellas in their home to be leaders. So Jesus, who was the head of the church, was a man. The 12 apostles are men. The elders and the deacons are men. And the Bible tells us, and Paul reiterates it, that Adam was formed first and then Eve. And God explains it in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 16, uh, the way that the order is supposed to work out. And God says, the men are the ones that are responsible. They are the ones that I am going to hold accountable. The wife is commanded to submit to her husband. Now, guess what? There has to be leadership for her to submit to. And that's what's lacking. There are ladies in America in Christianity who are looking around both in their home and in churches for a man that they can follow and they're not showing up. And I've heard it from the husband who tries to pass the buck by saying, well, my wife is better at those things and, you know, and she likes doing it. So, you know, I'm just going to kind of step aside and just let her go. Cause she's just, so uh, she's just good at that. She just has a knack for that, you know, and God doesn't care about who you think might be better in your home or in the church, God says that it is the man that's supposed to take the role of leadership. And when men don't do that, then all of a sudden we have weak homes, we have weak families, and we have weak churches. And I've been in so many churches where I've seen that the church is run by ladies, even though they have a male pastor there are women in charge of every committee and there are women that are running every aspect of the church and they're the ones that are making the decisions and those are the ones that the pastor kind of like ah well you know we just want to keep them happy and you know they're they're doing great so and the pastors will make the same excuses well we just really don't have a lot of guys that want to step up and take the lead well guess what buddy it's your job to lead them it's your job to make men into leaders. It's not an easy position. It's not an easy thing to do. It takes a lot more work. But if we are not willing to get on board with patriarchal leadership, the way that God set it up in the home and in the church, we are going to have weak homes and we are going to have weak churches. And Caleb, I guess I'm, you could bleep that P word out. What, what did I say? You said something about the patriarchy. I'm sure that that was a slip up. 
No, no, I'm sure no. You can bleep that out later. No, no, I am in favor of that word. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, great. Did I let a curse word slip and I didn't know it? So, Caleb, I'm going to tell you something. Every sweet, godly woman in my church and in every other church that I've been around, where I've thought to myself, this lady is great, they crave and desire leadership from their husband that's what they want they want their husband to take the leadership role they want their husband to step forward they want their husband to lead them in bible study and in prayer they want their husband to step forward in the church and make decisions and the problem is if you don't know where you're going then any train will get you there And there are families and churches that don't have leadership to follow. And because of that, they flounder and they are weak. So it is such a frustration of mine when I see weak men who are just cowards. They're not willing to step up. They're not willing to do their job, as the Bible says, and take a leadership role. If you don't like something in your home, if you don't like something in your church, then you need to be the one to initiate that change. You need to step forward and have a family meeting or sit down and talk to your wife and say, hey, this is what I see that God wants of us and this is what we need to change. And I've come up with a plan because we want to be right with God and I need your help to get this done with the kids and I need your help to and support to uh, move our family from the direction that we're going over into this new direction where I can see that God can bless us. Go ahead, Caleb. You got anything? Yeah, you're. Hopefully, we're coming through. I just checked on the live stream on Facebook, and I think we're coming through okay there. I it's it's breaking up really bad on the, my end. Here. The audio but sounds I I, perfect, I and once we put it on Spotify, it's going to be perfect. Now, don't get me wrong. Okay. You know, I mean, would you say you just went through a tornado down there in Texas? In <laughs> right, right in in somewhere in east texas outside of waco so it wiped out like what two stop signs and a bus stop but yeah i i agree men men need to step up and and lead the church uh in a little bit uh even if even if society says it's wrong and they and and every everybody's screaming no we don't want men in leadership uh that is the god-given role and forget what everyone else says around you uh if if the men don't lead it leaves a void and the women have to and I think that's part of what we've seen is, is we don't have we don't see enough leadership on the part of the men. So we have women that are having to step up and, and do what the men should have done. So if men lead out, it leaves less of a need for the women to step into an inordinate role in the church, I believe. OK, with that, we're going to get on to topic number five. Topic number five is Caleb's. And what he said was that the church is soft and should probably pray for persecution. Take it away, Caleb. Yeah, so of course nobody wants to pray for persecution, but uh, that is where that is probably where the biggest growth in the church happens. And uh, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with us thanking God for the fact that we live in a free country. Amen. I don't think there's anything wrong with with being grateful for the fact that we have the freedom to worship and being grateful that we had uh, founding fathers. Yes, that, amen. That saw the need for this, but. That being said, if they would have seen how soft the church was going to get, 
I don't know if they would have wanted if they would have made the voyage and given their lives to come across uh, from England and, and try to have freedom from you know from Great Britain to to have the freedom of worship that we have here if it was going to turn everyone into to such a soft uh, incapable effeminate uh, inc- yeah exactly I, I think the church is very in uh, how would I say it, it not only are we inadequate in the calling that we have and ineffective but I, I think it's actually impossible for God to use people to effectively give the message if they're not really willing to die for the faith so the early church again we saw the apostles uh, behaving much differently than what we'd see people now. Uh, they were they were told over and over again to stop preaching in Jerusalem. They continued to preach in Jerusalem, defying the orders that were given, knowing that it was going to cost them their lives. They could have they could have left Jerusalem and gone other places and dispersed and 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 gotten away without without. Uh, persecution at the time later on persecution moved to other places but early on they they felt like that the only way for them to walk in obedience to god was to it was to head straight into persecution preach the gospel whether that whether that was what they were supposed to do or not and so in a way in a way they were almost asking for persecution because they could have gone and preached somewhere else they could have taken the easy road but they didn't and so sometimes i think i don't know if, if it's almost sounds suicidal for the church to pray for persecution. I think that we should thank God for the fact that we have peace, but uh, it's unfortunate. And I, I sometimes wish for the, for the church in America that we would see some persecution here. And I certainly think that, that new converts should be encouraged to take their faith seriously enough that they would be willing to die for it. Because that was something that was very commonplace in the early church. You knew that if you converted to Christianity, that it was going to cost you your head. And, and so, and let me jump in on that. There are several yeah. other times in other countries uh, throughout, uh, or I should say times and places throughout history where it was the same. If you go to England and Holland during uh, the Spanish inquisition, uh, those times in Europe, when there was such terrible persecution by the Catholic church, they were hunting down Christians. They were murdering people, uh, who would get baptized, they would kill them by drowning. If you were a pastor or a preacher and you were teaching the Bible, they would cut out your tongue, they would burn you alive. These were things that went on in different parts of the world. It was, now, obviously, we remember it you know, by the Roman government. And then later on, when Paul was going around the world, there were definitely uh, different pagan uh, groups that were persecuting Christians. The Jews were very heavy into persecuting the Christians for a time, but it didn't even stop in those first couple centuries. Uh, There was persecution against Christians where, uh, and even today, if you try to be a real Christian in China or Belarus, I mean, they're, you know, they bulldoze your church, the pastor disappears. It's really bad in a lot of places still today. And I think the point that you're making is that in those countries, people still do it. And here in America, we have all this freedom and we don't use it to preach the gospel. We don't use it to give out Bible tracts. We don't use it to invite people to church. We don't use it to try to meet strangers and uh, share the gospel with them so that they can receive the Lord Jesus as their savior and go to heaven one day. Uh, The verse I just wanted to bring up, and I'll turn it back over to you, is Acts chapter 8, verse 4. When Jesus was on earth, he told them that they needed to go throughout the whole world, and they were... 
uh, remaining in Jerusalem, no one left. And then what we find is Paul start or Saul at the time starts this great persecution against the church and Stephen gets stoned to death and he's dragging people out of their homes and beating them in the street. And then we read in Acts 8, 4, therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. So we found that when persecution came upon the church, what did they do? They went everywhere and they preached the gospel. So your idea of persecution being something we should pray for, I'm all for it. I mean, really, that you know, I don't know if I want the like, you know, Chinese Communist Party level persecution, but we need some to get Christians to wake up and take their faith seriously. Please take it over. You have 35 seconds. Yeah, well, that's so generous of you. Thanks. <laughs> Forgive me. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're good. So, no, I agree. And and in in praying for persecution, I don't think that we should just that we should just pray that God uh, brings persecution upon us necessarily. But I think that we should pray toward and realize this is coming. It is going to come, and that we should be preparing for that. Be prepared to be willing to do that. And uh, much like you just mentioned there, the the church it, it lights the church on fire. Mm-hmm. It's like it's kind of like kicking over an ant. Fire and all spreads. Of a sudden it's like, oh, here they are. I would rather go and find. I think if I went to China to the underground church and I found some place that they had just executed, they had just executed. I'm going to take another thirty. Oh seconds. yeah, finish oh. your point. Yeah. <laughs> um, if I went and found an underground church in China where they had just murdered uh, 20, 30 people and there was fifty people left. And I, they may not be right on every point the, theologically, but if I show up the next Sunday and there's still some people that showed up to church, I know they're real Christians. Mm-hmm. I know that they're taking church pretty seriously because they're risking their life for it. <laughs> and I would love to be with those people. It kind of sorts, it kind of just sorts the wheat from the, from, from the, the chaff. chaff, so to speak. And, and it, it kind of allows you to see who's really in. And, and right now, if, if you're just going to church because it's cool music and they got free coffee and some snacks and the band and the lights and you know the entertainment is great and then all of a sudden somebody shows up with a machine gun they start shooting you're probably not going to be back there the next sunday yeah and and that's where we're at in america we have people that are casually kind of fair weather friends with jesus so i think it really sorts the church out and it it, it, and it shows you i mean the the witness of a persecuted church is a very powerful witness you see people that you know were willing to give their life for christ and it's it's a powerful witness Okay, topic number six. This is mine. Pastors are cowards. They won't stand up for God or the Bible. And time started. So pastors need... uh, So this is a concept that I was talking about just over the last couple weeks in my church. And pastors need to love what God loves, and they need to hate what God hates. And this idea is foreign to a lot of Christians. There are a lot of pastors especially pastors who they want to be popular. They want to grow their church big and they want their church to be, they want to draw people in based on the message they have. And that therefore a lot of pastors need it to be really nice and friendly and not controversial. Well, pastors honestly all christians need to love what god loves and all christians need to hate what god hates but pastors need to lead that pastors need to 
be the leaders who can get their people to that point. In Isaiah 50, verse 20, he says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And that's exactly what we have going on in churches nowadays. Pastors are not willing to call evil evil. They are not willing to call sin sin, and they are not willing to hate sin. And then they are not willing to call good good. Uh, Staying married is good. Divorce is a sin. There it is. Uh, Abortion is a sin. Children are a blessing. That's what the Bible says. It is not okay that we muddy up the waters and get soft. We need to take very hard, strict stances on what God hates and what God loves. And I tell people all the time, it is appropriate for you to love what God loves and it is appropriate for you to hate what God hates. As a matter of fact, the Bible commands us to hate what God hates. In Proverbs 8.13, it says, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. We are supposed to hate evil. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogancy, and the evil way and the froward mouth do I hate. This is what pleases God. It does not please God when people mix up good and evil. So there are times when people will hear me speak out very passionately against certain things or in favor of certain things. It is because I hate sin. And I don't see there there's anything wrong with that. The, as a matter of fact, God applauds that. But the devil has somehow convinced Christianity that you need to love everything, and part of love is acceptance. And that is just a lie straight out of hell. We do not need to love and or accept sin. We as Christians are commanded to hate what God hates and to love what God loves. Your thoughts? Well, uh, we should take a note of this. Uh, the 41 minute, 30 second mark here is the clip you can edit out where Patrick said that pastors should be haters and not lovers. That's, <laughs> that's from the Bible. Thumper right there. there it is. Bible Thumper podcast. Someone's well, got to say it, Caleb. It has to be said. Yeah. That should make a good reel on Facebook. So, you know, I agree. I think that you can't have love without you can't have a message of love and you can't be an effective pastor if you're not willing to take a stand against what god hates and Gotta that have is standards not popular mm-hmm. it's not fun and but it and it's also not what makes people grow their churches these days that's not going to give you a mega church so it's it's very unappealing it's not going to be taught in seminary it's not going to be modeled for the most part in the church because progressive successful pastors are not taking stands on tough issues. And so by and large, that's not, that's not the trend. So yeah, you have to go against the flow in that way and be willing to take a stand against tough issues and talk about tough things as a pastor. So we could go over any list and we could say, okay, how do you feel about this subject? As the world continues to move on, we start to see that the world is going downhill faster and faster. They are accepting and normalizing more and more sin, and churches are following right behind them. So churches are setting their standards based on where the world or what the world accepts. 
we are supposed to base our standard on the word of God. God is immovable yesterday, today, and forever. He changeth not. God's standards don't change. The only way I've ever really seen God's standards change, if you wanted to make that argument, is that when Jesus showed up, he set the bar a little higher than it was previously. Right. So because we are following the world standard and we are basing our standards on what the world believes, we are going to continue to go downhill and you can see it happening very quickly. In the last couple years, the devil has really ramped up his efforts as far as getting the world to accept and condone pedophilia and incest and the transgender movement, all types of sexually wicked and perverse sins. And churches are just jumping right on board and they are following along uh, with that. And the problem, the reason it happens is because pastors are cowards and they won't stand up for God or the Bible. (laughs) Topic number seven, Caleb, church is worried more about new growth than tending the flock they have. Go. Yeah, so I think this is a good thing and a bad thing. It can be a good thing. Uh, obviously the great commission is to go and preach and, and convert and get, get people saved. Uh, but I, I definitely see a, a problem where there's a, a really, really bad record in the church of a high turnover rate. People aren't, uh, I guess you could call it the retention rate isn't very high. People don't stick around very long because there's so much focus on, on new conversions. I watched a, I watched a video the other day of a pastor that uh, was dealing with an issue in his church where I, th- I believe it was about $30,000 worth of sound equipment that was stolen from the church. And I'm not here to, to throw a stone. I, I'm, I'm sure that the pastor tried to, I tried to deal with it in the best way that he knew how. But rather than, rather than addressing this issue, uh, going and talking to the member of the church, they had security camera footage they knew it was one of the members of the church mm-hmm. and they knew that they had stolen the equipment he stands up in church and says listen you have 24 hours to return the equipment that you stole because obviously the the worship in the house of the lord can't go on without the fog machine and the sound equipment <laughs> and, and whatever all audio and visual equipment was stolen so he says you got 24 hours to return it and you can get off without us pressing charges against you but you are never welcome back in this in this place again sure uh, to me, this is an opportunity and, and and maybe he did the right thing. I don't know, but I was just watching this and I was thinking this is an opportunity where, where you got somebody saved, say, say this pastor worked to win this soul over, he gets mm-hmm. somebody saved and then he doesn't go to them and say, brother, what's going on? Let's sit down. Let's talk. Let's pray together. Let's get this straightened out. If, if he's got to pay the consequences through the law, whatever, but you don't, as a shepherd, you don't, uh, you're not a fair weather friend to the flock. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, when problems arise in the church, oftentimes I, I think the church leadership takes the easy road out with 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 pro- with members that are having problems. And they're more worried about getting their numbers up, getting more people in the door. So the focus goes on taking care of the new the new visitors, the new converts and people that are going through the lowest time in their life when they really, really need a pastor. They need uh, the body of Christ to, to, to be there around them. That's oftentimes when people get hurt by the church and when they get wounded or bruised. And and so you see this you kind of just see this cycle, this vicious cycle where there's 
hundreds or thousands of people that have been hurt by the church because of the way that a situation was handled. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes people just leave the church because they're tired. They're done with God. They want out. They're backsliding, whatever the problem is. But sometimes it is the fault of the church. I've heard of, of just embarrassing things that the church has done over and over again. And it, it just, it grieves my heart to see how, how pathetic that we are at, at actually, at actually handling, um, at handling the discipleship, the shepherding part of, of the process. Okay. So <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to pick on the mega churches again. Give it you, see these, you, you see these, uh, you see the Hillsong or some of these, these mega churches, they'll actually have, they'll have like VIP seating areas. Get where out they, of here. They bring in celebrities and they, and they have basically box office areas where they can seat special. They, they sit them specially, which the Bible talks about this. Yeah. It <laughs> literally talks about an acts not to do this. <laughs> and if you look up, if you look up some of these churches that are, that have these big name bands and then these uh, influencers in their worship teams and whatnot, they have special for the elite. And in James chapter two, it says, my brethren have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory with respect of persons. For if there come unto your into your assembly, a man with a gold ring in goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment. And ye have respect to him that weareth the, the, the gay clothing and say unto him, sit thou here in a good place and say to the poor, stand thou there or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves and become judges of evil thoughts? Um, so God, God has chosen the the poor over the rich, and we're supposed to we're not supposed to have partiality. And I think that's part of it is 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 we sort of get people in the door, and then we're going to tend to pander toward the people that are the easiest, that maybe that contribute the most, and we don't really shepherd people fairly or evenly. And and it that's very hurtful to somebody when they see that somebody else was given a chance when they weren't. It's very hurtful. So I think that, that we should be more nurture oriented rather than just growth oriented. I don't know if my time's up or not, but that's no, uh, that's a great question. Let me check. Hold on. I know everyone's going to be curious about this. No, nope, we have a minute and three seconds. I totally agree. Uh, here's a quick problem. A lot of churches base success on numbers. You cannot quantitatively judge the quality of education, of healthcare, of spiritual things because those things are judged qualitatively. See, if we just judge education based on the numbers, well, lower the standards far enough, and guess what, Caleb? Everybody graduates high school. That doesn't mean that we're doing a good job. Now, the numbers look good because it's a 100% graduation rate, but that doesn't mean anything. It's the same in healthcare. It doesn't matter how many patients you see in the emergency room every hour if none of them get the care that they need. And it's the same with spiritual things. Just because people are showing up, that doesn't mean that we are successful. And that is the big problem that we have in churches. What we need to do is we need to make sure that we are teaching these people all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished onto all good works. Our job is to help these people take the next step in their Christianity. Our job is to teach them the Bible and to help them move on from where they are to just one step closer to the Lord. 
And if we feel that we have succeeded when they come in the door and find a seat and they come back the next week and it's like, Hey, great. They're, they're in like, we, you know, we have one more person or one more family. We are failing as a church. What we want now, don't get me wrong. We want more people. Okay. Because we want to reach the whole world with the gospel. We are happy every time we have first time visitors, But what's important to us is that we get to know everybody, we get to learn about who they are, we get to find out where they are in their Christian walk, and we then put effort into trying to teach them the Bible and help them take the next step. We are out of time. We we crossed the threshold just a minute ago. Topic number eight, church isn't that important. It's not a priority in the life of the Christian. Caleb, I came up with this topic and I just don't see any evidence for it. I mean, on Sundays, the world is practically empty because everybody's in church, right? So Christians today have this idea that I'm saved and that's good enough. The idea that I get together for corporate worship with my local church. First of all, people don't even understand the concept of a local church. They don't understand the concept of church membership. They don't understand the concept of pastoral authority that is ordained by God in the Bible. They don't understand the idea that they are supposed to be a part of a group and that group has a mission and that mission is reaching the entire world with the gospel. And guess what? If you are on a professional sports team, you're in the NFL and you have 17 games that season and you show up for three of them, you're not really helping the team much. There is a hole somewhere. There is nothing worse than some new person coming to church and looking around being like, where is everybody? And it's like, oh, well, the weather's nice. Everyone's gone. Or, oh, there's a special event, you know, somewhere downtown. Everybody's gone. There was a time when church was a priority. It was the highlight of a person's week. This is when I get to go into the house of the Lord, and I get to learn the Bible, and I get to sing some songs. I get to see my friends. I get to see my family. This is the time when I receive encouragement This is a good thing for my family, and this falls back on one of the points that I made earlier, and that is that men are cowards, and they won't take the lead in the home or in the church. Okay, so if anyone is listening, this topic, this little idea of that church is not that important for Christians today, it is the fault of dad. It's your fault, dad. You are a joke as a Christian. The idea that you will not bring your family to church to a place where they are going to be encouraged to be moral and obey God and learn the Bible, that's insane. As a parent, Caleb, do you let your kids pick out what they want to eat for breakfast every morning? And they come in, they're like, hey, I want Lucky Charms, but I only want the marshmallows. And I don't want milk. I want some Mountain Dew Code Red, and that's what I'm going to have before I go off to school in the morning. No parent does that. We force our kids to do what's best for them. Our kids have to brush their teeth. Our kids don't uh, get to uh, choose, you know, to eat bubble gum and Mountain Dew three meals a day. We make them do what's best for them. That's what a parent does. 
That is not strange. And for some reason, parents have this idea that church is not that big of a, of a priority. There's always something else that's coming up. The church is never going to grow. It's never going to move forward if people don't take it seriously and make a commitment to God and decide, I am going to get together and I am going to try to be a part of this team that reaches the world with the gospel. The gospel in every uh, part of the New Testament went out from the local church. The local church sent out the missionaries. The local church. Do you know a bunch of families that are supporting foreign missions all over the world, Caleb? Because I don't. Do you know, remember Not reading anywhere in the Bible where Jesus died? Okay, for this one family or that one family. The Bible says in Ephesians that he died for the church. It is important to God. Why did he set this thing up if it doesn't matter? Why did he give so much instruction as to what the ordinances of the church are, what you're supposed to do in church, what the positions are in inside of a church? How do you discipline people that are falling away from God and in act of sin? Why did God write so much of the New Testament if the church is not important? Because so much of the New Testament is talking about how the local church is supposed to work. The Bible says that we are actually supposed to spend more time together with Christians in church as we see the coming of the end of the world. As things are getting worse, we are supposed to go to the refuge of the local church. And it is not a priority for people. And I'll tell you what, man, you can tell who it is. It is it is one of those steps that we are trying to get our people to recognize it is early on. Are you reading your Bible? Are you praying as an individual Christian? Are you getting closer to God with those two things? You need to do them daily in your life. On top of that, do you have fellowship with Christians on a regular basis? Guess what? We do it once every week. Okay, some churches meet more than that. That's fine. Give me your thoughts. You have at least 30 seconds. A couple thoughts that I had during during that while, while you were mentioning that is not only not only should you be faithful as a father to 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 make sure your your family and your children show up in church but if you are leading a christian home where there's an emphasis and a study of of the word at home then a, an excitement and a love for church is going to flow out of that it's it if if the only thing that you do for jesus is show up to church on sunday then it's no wonder people aren't excited about church but if you're if if it's overflowing out of a relationship that's that's working well at home then families should be super pumped about going to church it should be the highlight of their week they should wish they could go more often and and when you're not excited about it you show up anyways and there's always going to be those times where you go through those dry spells and it's like oh man you know it's church again but you still show up whether you're excited about it or not you're faithful that's right it's your duty and it doesn't matter if the weather's bad or i have the sniffles or whatever you know caleb how many times do you go to work when you're under the weather now i know that you don't really work anymore like real people with a construction job where they go out and you know and they sweat but do you know how many times i've gone to work with broken fingers do you know how many times i've gone to work with a fever i've gone to work it's my duty i that's part of my job as a father to take care of my family and we are out of time topic number nine caleb this one was yours church services are tailored 
towards women, men disengage and leave. Take it away. I don't know if this is entirely true across the board, and I could be I could be way off on this, but I, I think that I've seen a tendency in, in church for men to feel, at least masculine men that are a little more rough around the edges may feel out of place in church. They don't feel comfortable there. I've certainly felt uncomfortable, and I'm not the most masculine rough around the edges guy that you've met, and yet I feel it's hard for me to engage in worship when it seems to me like it's tailored toward um, the way that my wife should react to a romance novel that she was reading. Um, and it's just not the traditional, the traditional way that men have reacted to God and in communion with God throughout history and throughout biblical periods may be somewhat different than the way that women will. And I'll give an example of this. If you see the, the way that, that the disciples interacted with Jesus, uh, the women tended to interact a bit differently than the men did. And it was totally acceptable for the women to want to serve him and wait on him and swoon over him and wash their feet with their wash his feet with their hair. That type of thing was was more the way that women adored Jesus. And it's uh, less likely that most of the disciples, Peter might have been the rare exception, but we won't go there. But most of the disciples were were uh, their their response uh, was a little bit different. In the Old Testament, when people encountered God, um, oftentimes they were struck with fear. And their communication with God was quite raw, and it wasn't eloquent. And today in the church, we see uh, we see people being encouraged to react in a feminine way to, to the presence of God, and that's the way that the churches uh, tend to tailor their services. And so, if you if you find yourself in church and you don't find yourself uh, attracted to engage in the service. It may partially partially because be because it's it tends to be geared toward women, and there's nothing wrong with women um, raising their hands in worship to God the way that they would, or responding the way that they would, or maybe even singing the the type of lyrics that they would. If you if you read some of the lyrics that were written in, in songs in the Old Testament, the men tended to sing a little bit different than the women did. Uh, we're just hardwired differently. God created us differently, and there's nothing wrong with that. But when when the church neglects the men. Um, and, and, okay, so a man comes in and he's just saved and let's say he's worked in the oil field most of his life. He's used to communicating with other guys and, and he, and he comes, he comes to church and, and there's, uh, a ladies, uh, wor worship leader that's leading the, the songs and a, a woman, a woman pastor and, and the, and the, and the, the, the uh, the, the everybody's raising their hands and I want more of you. I want more of you, Jesus. And they repeat this line over and over and over again. And it's not something that comes natural to him. Um, it's kind of this whole Jesus is my girlfriend kind of theology. And he's just like, it just kind of doesn't feel quite, doesn't set quite right with him. And he's, and he doesn't quite fit in and he kind of feels like he's on the sideline. That is actually totally okay. Don't feel like you're a bad Christian because that doesn't set right with you. It's, as a guy, you shouldn't necessarily have to worship the same way that everybody else around you does. And certainly um, the, 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 the worship service is being tailored toward, toward women. There's, uh, there's a problem with that. In my opinion, I believe it's a huge problem when men are neglected. And this is the, this is the thing. Men are the leaders of the home. Men are, it's the responsibility of the church not not just to create clubs that make the women and the children feel like they're discipled and feel 
welcome and feel like that's actually the father's job in the home to go home and to teach his wife and children. And the church shouldn't neglect the wife, the wives and children either, but men shouldn't feel like the only way that they can fit in is to be an effeminate, um, uh, emotional person in order to fit in at church. I'm not saying that men can't show emotions or that they can't, that they have to worship in a, in a grisly, uh, masculine way. But if, if you don't feel like you, you fit in there, uh, maybe find a church where it's not just a women's coffee and Bible study. And, and there's, there's actually men sitting around and discussing things that are, I mean, when I, when I go to church and I hear a, a hearty sermon and I hear a, pra- a preacher start hitting on, hitting on a bunch of points that are, that I, that resonate with me, where I, where I understand this is God speaking to me through his word. And these are tough, tough issues. And, and he explained it well, I get excited about that when I go and all I hear is love and mushy gushy, you know, uh, you know, embrace me in your love, sweet Jesus. Um, it just doesn't, it doesn't resonate with me with the same way. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but if it's geared toward women, I tend to feel a little bit, I I don't engage. And so if men are leaving the church because they're being neglected and and the whole church is, is geared toward the more, the emotional uh, feminine side, uh, that is a problem because men, need to be in church. If there's one place that a father or husband needs to be, it's in, it's in church where he has encouragement and is built up and taught in the, in the word. And so as leaders in the home, that's the, that's the devil wants to go after the men first. And so if he can have the church neglect the men, then the the house falls apart from the top down. And so I see that as a problem. I think that the, the church is geared mostly toward women and, and their worship style. You know, Caleb, I think you're right. I've been to churches where that's the case. And I'll tell you what, um, if the pastor does not gain the trust and the heart of the fathers in that church, the church is going nowhere because the fathers are the ones that are going to be able to turn the family and get them to follow him. Uh, I've seen many studies that have been done where, um, Uh, as far as Christian families and when there is a strong male uh, presence in the home that loves God and is running his hardest after God, uh, you see the children and the grandchildren continuing to follow God in the later generations. When the dad is like, eh, not that, you know, into it and it's the mom that's trying to push it, you're lucky if you can even get all the kids to remain uh, in church and uh, staying with the Lord and following after the Bible. So I think uh, you're right that church services should certainly be something where uh, men can feel comfortable. Men in America need to be able to love church and guns. And that's all the time and, we have. And we're not that. talking about just males, but actually men. Because yeah. if uh, one, if you're if you're a a a a Christian man that wants to uphold values and, and be an image bearer of God, it may bother you a bit to see, and this goes back to what you said about pastors being too soft. When you see church leaders uh, being being softened down, effeminate, effeminate. Uh, more appealing, yep. more appealing to the women uh, in their message style, their preaching style, everything about the, about the service is geared that way, you're going to feel um, not only put out, but it, it doesn't set right with you because it's not really, it's not really the way that that you, if I, if, if somebody was going to teach my children and, and I'm going to teach, set them underneath the teaching of a man, I want them to be able to model being a 
a real man and not trying to be a girly guy. It's just, it doesn't set right with, with fathers and, and dads to, to put their, their wives and children under the teaching of a, a, a softened down man. To me, it doesn't anyways. And so that's, that's, that I think it's just tailored. It's tailored in the wrong direction. And, and it may have come, it may have just swung the pendulum the wrong way. There's probably been times when it was the other way around and it may have been flipped in the past at times where maybe it was geared more toward the men and the women were neglected. I'm not saying we should neglect the women uh, or the children, but you, you, you've got to have a balance there. You got to, you got to have men in the church that are willing to be men. You know, we're way past time, and I want to go on to the last point and get it over with, but I'm just going to say churches need to attract men, and women need to take on their role, which is to submit their to their husband and be willing to follow him in the way that God is speaking to him. That's what needs to happen. Yeah, a lot it's of the not. problems in America would be solved if there wasn't fatherless homes. You got it. That that the church is neglecting the men, and that's that is feeding into that problem. Okay, topic number ten, last one of the evening. Patrick came up with this one. For those of you that don't know, I am Patrick. Topic number ten: We are not willing to stand up to sin and get it out of our home and our church. I'm going to start with reading a verse, and that is 1 Peter 2.9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Caleb, we are supposed to be strange because we follow after Christ, and we are supposed to be a group that show forth the praises of God who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is not the case in so many homes and so many churches because people don't want to seem strange. They don't want to be weird. They don't want to be anti-social. They want to fit right in the middle of the crowd. They want to be right in the average of what everybody accepts and condones and finds to be just fine and okay this is not what we are called to as christians we are called to be different from the rest of the world very different when we go through the old testament we find out that one of the main sins of the nation of israel was that they did not want to be different like god commanded them they wanted to be like all the other nations they got tired of being different and following the law of moses so when we find sin in our home of course, we're going back to number one, biblical illiteracy. If a dad is not reading the Bible, it doesn't matter. He's not going to know what sin looks like. Number two, dads can't be cowards. They have to be willing to stand up. We need to identify problems in our home as far as sin, things that God is not okay with, and we need to remove them. We need to have a family meeting and say, you know what? This is just not okay don't feel comfortable with it i know god's not okay with it we have to make a change there might be some dissent there might be some tears the kids might not like it it doesn't matter we have to be hold a vote right no no there is no voting the dad needs to be willing to make tough decisions that mom and the kids don't like but is better for the family you hold 
if you hold a vote, then when God comes to you and, and asks you why you did it, you can always tell him, like, listen, I tried Look, to deal with it. I but put I, it to a vote. voted against me. The kids outvoted me. What do you want me to do? Okay. We were going to get rid of the idols, but the kids yeah. voted against me. <laughs> the so kids I, just loved them. I tried. Sorry. <laughs> My hands were tied. There's nothing I could do. Yeah, there's nothing I could do, Lord. There are so many homes where they know that something is wrong and they're just not willing to make a change to make it any better. In churches, we find the same thing. There is sin, and the pastor is not willing to stand up to it and make a change. This has to stop. When we find something that we are doing that we accept or condone or is present in the church that directly contradicts the Bible, we have to get rid of it. It's not okay that there are sins, there are problems in the church, and we don't deal with them. The Bible actually explains how we're supposed to deal with problems in the church. It's not that hard. Now, it's uncomfortable, and that's why nobody wants to do it. That's why pastors don't want to deal with it. But the Bible explains exactly how to do it. If we are not going to confront sin and make changes, again, we are never going to please God our churches are going to stagnate. They're going to be stale. The people are going to, uh, they're not going to be motivated. The Holy Spirit of God is not going to be blessing. And we are going to be struggling to get the gospel to people, to see people get on their knees and pray and receive the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. We are going to struggle to get people in the water, to get them baptized. We are going to struggle to help Christians make a make the next step and change their life and become more like God and less like themselves. And again, this falls on fathers. This falls on men in the church, men in their own home. Husbands and fathers need to be able to lead. They need to be able to identify sin and they need to be able to say, look, I don't care that everyone else does it. I don't care that my in-laws don't like the decision I'm making. I don't care that I hear about it from my brother and my mom and dad. I don't care that my cousins think we're weirdos because we do this and everyone else thinks it's okay and they do that. That doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is pleasing God. Caleb, your thoughts. You got a minute and a half. Yeah, I mean, sin is... Sin is the cancer, the great cancer that I think has infected the church. And it's, you can't just, and the church can't continue to deal with sin like our society deals with disease. You can't just continue to try to put another medication over it. Uh, you can't put more band-aids over it. It has to be eradicated and you can't eradicate it from the pulpit. You can preach against sin from the pulpit, but until individuals are willing to take care of sin issues in their own lives, uh, that's 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 really where it's at. And so the preacher can only say repent. Mm -hmm. And and until people actually repent and turn away, uh, no amount of sitting in church and, and listening to good preaching is going to fix it. And that I'll just say it this way. There's not always you can't expect that the church is going to have a solution for your problems. They're not going to be a, a 10 step program or a six step program that you can go through. It, it comes through deliverance from sin through the Holy spirit. And until uh, individuals and, and fathers are willing to deal with the sin issue in, in their own lives and their own homes, it, 
it's going to continue to just be a cancer in the church. And I think we all see it. We, we see it around us. We've seen it in church. We've seen it in our own lives. And the solution is not going to be a magic bullet of listening to the right sermon. It's, it's repentance. All right, Caleb, with that, we have covered 10 subjects, problems that we find in American Christianity and in American churches. We dedicated, I don't know, somewhere between five to 10 minutes to each of them. And we are getting out of here under an hour and 20 minutes. So I think that's pretty good. I had a good time doing it. Like I said, I don't know how spiritual it was or if anyone learned anything. But it was. I doubt that it, I doubt that it'll last as long uh, throughout the church history as Paul's admonishment <laughs> of the church. But I mean, hey, it's worth a shot. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, Paul had plenty to say. He he shook his finger and pointed out sin in the church plenty of times, and you know, and, and problems that came up. And obviously, I'm not saying that I'm a God ordained prophet. You know, that God is speaking to to give a message to the church. Caleb and I are just bringing up things that we've seen in churches that is that are very different from what we read in the bible and what we see happening in the bible and therefore we see it to be a problem and we see these things need to be changed for churches to be successful so um with that i just want to say thank you everyone for coming out if you watched us on facebook or youtube live during the video you can comment ask questions and if you uh, follow us on one of those social media platforms, please check us out on all of our uh, podcast platforms. So we are on uh, Google, Spotify, Apple. You can find us on every single uh, where, wherever you find your podcast. That's where we are. Believe it or not, I was just looking at the analytics last week. Stitcher is the number one podcast platform that our listeners find us on you believe that yeah who would have thought so we are on every place that you can find a podcast please like share rate if you are not a subscriber to the youtube channel please become a subscriber it helps us tremendously we are trying to monetize this channel so that uh, we can stop losing money after four years of doing this. So please go over to YouTube and subscribe and please follow us on, you know, Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Blueberry, Audible, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find and, us and there. share it with your pastor and your worship leader. Yeah, absolutely. Them. Tell them, Whoever's tell them in charge of the soundboard of- and the lasers just pass this on to them, you know, maybe it'll Tell help them that you're, you're tired of the pathetic job they're doing. Jesus is not your girlfriend and you That's want, right. want, you want some, you want real church. And so this is what the Bible thumper says is they're a bunch of uh, weak, soft uh, church leaders and that we're critical of them. Yeah. That, that, that should get us a lot of listeners. That'll help everybody flock to us. Okay, folks, every Sunday night at 7 p.m., and by every Sunday night, I mean most Sunday nights, and by 7 p.m., I mean anytime between 7 and 8, depending on the AV issues that we're up against, you can find us here uh, 7 p.m. Uh, Mountain Time, 8 p.m. Central, on Sunday nights, Bible Thumper Podcast. And you can email me, Patrick Hayes, Bible Thumper Podcast at gmail.com. I'll be happy to hear from you, and I will respond to whatever questions you have. Have a good night.